0: What uh, we find is with that $1.1, $1.2 billion, depending on your estimate, we could employ over 12,000 more public servants each year. Uh, You might not want to spend it exactly like that, but that gives you a sense of the magnitude of the work that's outsourced and the kind of institutional knowledge that the public service is missing out on.
1: One for mum, one for dad one for the country. And there has never been a more exciting time to be an Australian. Budgets are about choices, Fran, and you show what you value through the choices you make. Dead, buried, cremated. This is coal. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. The Treasurer knows. Australia is basically done for. We'll just end up being a third-rate economy. You know, a Uh, republic. How good is Australia? Just
2: follow the money. G'day. And welcome to Follow the Money, the Australia Institute's podcast demystifying the big economic issues in Australia and putting them in plain English. I'm Ebony Bennett, Deputy Director at the Institute, and today we're going to talk about just how much the government spends on external consultants and consultancies, and how little we as taxpayers actually know about it, even though we're paying for it. And it comes amidst growing concerns around government secrecy and accountability. So today I'm delighted to introduce Bill Brown, Senior Research At the Australia Institute's Democracy and Accountability Program and author of the report into consultancies. And just a reminder, we're still recording this from home, even though uh, restrictions have loosened in the ACT. Uh, We're just not quite back in the office yet. So if it sounds like some of this is recorded on Zoom, that's because it is. But we're looking forward to get back in the studio very soon.
1: The federal government has been accused of pork barrelling, pumping almost $1 billion of grants into its own seats or ones it wants to win. Instead of following Sport Australia recommendations, the government disproportionately funnelled money into marginal seats before the last election. Okay. Um, out of the $1.38 million that it costs that it cost the taxpayer for this report... Um, How long did it take you to...? Government MPs are showing off taxpayer cash in the form of grants being dropped all over regional Australia. And I can't see how $1.76 million worth of research, which is more than the report that you commissioned, lines up. Like, it looks dodgy. I mean, forget the pub
2: test. This doesn't pass any kind of test. The the member has has resigned from the cabinet. G'day, Bill. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hi, Evany. Thanks for having me. So,
2: Bill, tell us a little bit about this report, first of all. What made you interested in it? And what are we talking about when we're talking about consultants' reports?
0: So, the report looks at the amount of money that the federal government spends on consultancies. And in particular, the Reports and other advice that consultants produce for government. It was prompted by the controversy at the beginning of this year and a bit in last year around Australia Post and the dismissal of Christine Holgate. Uh, It turned out that key to the controversy over that dismissal was a report from Management Consultants Boston Consulting Group, uh, which made a number of recommendations about how Australia Post should or could change its business model. The problem was that that report wasn't publicly available for scrutiny or criticism. In the end, uh, the Senate committee looking into the complaint was able to table the document and we got some hints about what it contained from their inquiry. But there was no real opportunity for the public to investigate the claims, consider whether they were valid uh, and know what might be going on. So that got me thinking about this uh, broader problem.
1: Were you aware at the time that that, that your work would be kept secret and away from the eyes of the Australian people?
0: We were aware that we were producing a product for government and it was government's decision what it would do with them. Are you
1: surprised they've kept it secret? That's an answer to my
0: question. I think the, the world has changed for all of us um, in, in the last year and we would want to redo the analysis in a more thorough, in a thorough manner to provide recommendations that are uh, cognizant with where the world is at today. But you're not going to get to do that, are you? I don't expect so. The taxpayer me. would
1: have to fund it all over again, I'd suggest.
2: So what we're talking about here is instead of asking a department, the public service, to write a report about a particular policy decision or a change, they're going to these external consultants, paying them money, using taxpayers' money, and then these consultancies write the reports, but taxpayers don't necessarily get to see the results.
0: That's right. They very rarely get to see the results, and uh, there's a a number of ways that those reports are Are held back from the public, but often we don't even get the detail about exactly what's been delivered. So you talk about reports done by consultancies, but what percentage of the spend on consultants by the government is for discrete, concrete reports versus uh, other working arrangements versus almost a labour hire kind of structure? The reality is that we don't know exactly what taxpayers are getting from consultancies as well as not knowing exactly what kind of advice those consultancies are giving.
2: And how much is government spending on consultancies?
0: Uh, A great deal, uh, over $1 billion per year in recent years. Uh, It's up from low hundreds of millions of dollars about 10 years ago. Uh, And um, yeah. So in 10
2: years, we've gone from a few hundred million to a billion dollars a year.
0: That's right. You're looking at literally a tripling over that period.
2: Wow.
1: $1.76 million of work, presumably just straight to, to Boston Consulting without anyone else being able to be given the opportunity to, to um, bid for the work. No statement of requirement, no final report or product.
2: I value Like, t- that is why I think it looks dodgy. And so when government... Sends these things out to private consultancies. Taxpayers are are paying for it, but that's money that presumably could be used in other ways. We've got a big public service. Should we be relying more on the public service?
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that my report looks at is the effect of the APS cap. So that's the limitation on how many public servants the government will allow the public service to hire. And what so, we've...
2: so we've got a cap, sorry, just to be clear. The government set a cap on the number of public servants. So if the workload expands for a particular department and they've got a cap, that might be why they're going to external consultancies because they can't hire anyone else to work in the department. Would that be a scenario?
0: Exactly. You see uh, the explosion of consultancies as well as labour hire agreements. And in both cases, you'd have to assume that A lot of that is because it's much more difficult for them to hire people in-house. And you've got labour hire uh, employees or people on labour hire contracts who are doing exactly the same kind of work as the public servants sitting next to them but under totally different hiring conditions.
2: And so how much are we talking about there in terms of hollowing out the public service? Like if we were getting the public service to do this kind of work, uh, how many people, you know, could we employ?
0: Yeah, what uh, we find is with that $1.1, $1.2 billion, depending on your estimate, we could employ over 12,000 more public servants each year. Uh, You might not want to spend it exactly like that, but that gives you a sense of the magnitude of the work that's outsourced and the kind of institutional knowledge that the public service is missing out on.
2: Yeah. Um, So to get back to these reports themselves, you talked about the Christine Holgate situation with Australia Post, but how is it that we come to know that these reports exist even if we don't get access to them? And what are the different ways that we can get public access for these documents that taxpayers are essentially paying for?
0: You can always approach government documents through freedom of information requests uh, and there's the possibility that you get the documents or an extracted version of them which might have the information you need or might not. Uh, One of the problems with FOIs, and there are several, is that uh, you have to know what you're looking for in your request. So it's very difficult to find something that you don't know about. Uh, We also have the Senate making its own orders for the production of documents. Uh, And that's actually the case for the Boston Consulting Group's report on Australia Post. Uh, The Senate put in an order for that document to be produced. In this case, the government claimed it was cabinet in confidence uh, and so refused to release it. So those are are two methods. Of course, the other is that sometimes governments do release these reports uh, on their own bat. Uh, unfortunately, as you can imagine, uh, the temptation is for government to release the reports that tell them what they want to hear and not release the kind of reports that the public might be really interested in seeing.
2: Yeah, but overall, it seems that if taxpayers are paying for something, then the default should be that it's public. But that's not really what we're seeing here. Like the default isn't to make something publicly accessible.
0: That's right. And I agree. If the taxpayers paid for it, uh, the assumption should be that it goes out. And there are lots of reasonable reasons, like privacy, to limit the amount of information that you do put out. But the starting position should be that it's public, unless there's a good case not to make it so.
1: Then the other point I'd make is that we've had an enormous um, uh, number of FOI yeah, requests. Yeah, because you're the most secretive government since Federation. That's the issue. It's not open government, so we have to FOI everything. My submission to the executive is maybe you won't be inundated so much with questions on notice and FOIs if you actually released information that the public deserves to have made public. And they paid for.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they paid for.
2: In order to get access to these, uh, did you make any recommendations in the report?
0: So I mentioned before that the Senate had made an order for the production of documents specifically for this Boston Consulting Group report. Uh, But what my paper recommends is a broader order for the production of documents. So uh, the Senate can issue these orders which require the public service to present them with information. And it's a very broad power the Senate and the House of Representatives have. It comes from the House of Commons in the UK originally, one of its ancient powers over the executive, a ongoing order, a standing order for the production of documents would make a general rule for what kind of documents the public service has to produce. So what we recommend is a standing order for the production of reports and other advice that consultants engage in, making it so that uh, the public service has to produce that information. And of course, you can make allowances for things like cabinet in confidence, privacy and so on. But this would actually establish that assumption that it's public unless otherwise justified.
2: And we are finding ourselves, I feel like, in a bit of a moment around government accountability. So you're talking here about a really a specific thing around consultants report, but just sticking with that theme of, you know, things should be public unless there's a good reason why not. I feel like in the last couple of weeks of politics, we've seen just a whole bunch of questions arise around um, government accountability or avoiding accountability So I just wanted to ask you, Bill, um, as part of our democracy and accountability team for a few reflections on a couple of recent issues. So I know this week that the Australia Institute published an open letter calling for truth in political advertising laws um, to be enacted before parliament. Just remind us why that's important and what that call is about.
0: What we've seen across recent elections is growing accusations from both sides of politics about dishonest political advertising. Uh, The internet and social media make that kind of content particularly easy to produce and distribute, but it's an ongoing problem that's existed well before social media has. There are models for laws that could be adopted at the federal level that would make misleading and inaccurate political advertising not permissible, uh, subject to complaints that would go to the Electoral Commission, which would make decisions independently about whether those ads should be withdrawn or retracted. Uh, So what we produced on Monday was an open letter signed by 39 prominent Australians Uh, making the case for for the federal parliament to pass those laws, which is in line with polling we've done, which shows that nine in 10 Australians support those laws as well. We had a wide range of signatories from different areas, including former judges like the Honourable David Harper and the Honourable Anthony Wheely, former politicians, uh, including Dr John Hewson and Cheryl Kernow, so former leaders of political parties. Uh, And we also had academics join the call Uh, as well as many others. In an
1: age of disinformation messing with our politics, it's pretty simple. We need to ensure political expression is robust, fair and truthful. But right now, it's perfectly legal to lie in a political ad. Australia Institute research shows that nine in 10 Australians want parliament to pass truth in political advertising laws. There should be penalties for misleading ads. Truth in political advertising laws would help all Australians have trust in what they are seeing. It's not hard. Australia already does it. Businesses aren't allowed to mislead customers. So why are politicians allowed to mislead voters? We need truth in political advertising laws before the next election. Add your name at TAI. Uh,
2: We saw in the Parliament recently that um, the Minister, Peter Dutton, the Leader of the House, intervened to reject um, the Speaker's referral to the Privileges Committee of this issue around the former Attorney General, Christian Porter, refusing to detail um, the anonymous donors to his legal funds that covered the cost of his legal funds for suing the ABC for defamation. Um, Obviously, that was a huge controversy in itself. Christian Porter stepped down from the ministry, but we still don't know who these donors are.
0: Yeah, I thought it was particularly striking that the Speaker found that there was a prima facie case for referral. You'd imagine that's a, a cut and dried issue where the Parliament, which has elected the Speaker, uh, would follow his lead. But instead, uh, the Parliament declined to make that referral. And The government did later say that there would be a more general inquiry into the broader issue uh, of politicians relying on these kinds of things to clear up disclosure requirements. And while that might be needed as well, I don't think you can say that a general inquiry makes up for the particular case that we had here, which should be investigated on its own grounds and its own merits. Uh, and and I that's think essentially
2: that, what the Speaker was calling for.
0: That's right. And I think it's a, a perfectly reasonable referral. It's not any kind of decision one way or another about what happened. It's beginning that process With the respected bipartisan privileges committee.
2: And the reason why that was such a big issue is, you know, the privileges committee does look into these kinds of questions of integrity and probity, and really the the parliament looks after itself, it's its own domain, and so the privileges committee is is an important part of maintaining standards of integrity. It's quite serious to have something referred to the privileges committee, and it was quite unusual step, unprecedented, in fact for such a referral to kind of be rejected.
0: That's right. I mean, you hear uh, claims that it's never happened since Federation. Uh, I haven't gone back and and checked for that myself, (laughs) but uh, it's certainly unprecedented in in living memory. And I think you're quite right that Parliament, to a a large degree, and I think to an extent that people don't always realise, does have to regulate itself. And, And that kind of goes with the territory of being given such significant powers, uh, some of which aren't even enumerated in the constitution because they go back to uh, the United Kingdom and the Westminster system as it developed there. So It's a heavy responsibility that Parliament needs to to carry. For the first time since Federation, the Federal Government used its numbers in the House to block the Speaker's finding of a prima facie case against a member and his call for a motion for the House to give precedence to referring the matter to the Privileges Committee.
1: For the Government to effectively spurn the advice of the Speaker, one who
2: says there's a prima facie case to answer, is extraordinary and unprecedented. It's a blind trust. He cannot disclose to me um, who those donors are.
1: Why is the Prime Minister running a protection racket for the member for peace? And Mr Morrison to get every one of his coalition MPs to vote against integrity. Have no doubt that's what they did yesterday.
2: And I guess the reason why it also stuck out is, you know, this is a government that's been involved in several controversies over the mishandling of grants programs that were dealt with inappropriately in a partisan way the national audit office has been extremely critical of a number of those types of programs and as we know some of those systems of accountability are really breaking down when the government's refusing these types of referrals but also bill correct me if i'm wrong we still don't have a federal icac piece of <laughs> legislation is that right
0: That's right. Uh, Despite the best efforts of uh, crossbenchers, the Labour Party, the Greens, all in proposing their own models, despite the promise from the Commonwealth Government over a thousand days ago that it would introduce such legislation, uh, promises from then Attorney General Christian Porter that he'd get it done much faster than the Labour Party would have if they'd been elected, uh, we're still not seeing uh, really any hope of a National Integrity Commission being legislated so that it'd be up and running before the next election. So it's deeply disappointing. And it does cast a shadow over, as you say, the other scandals that the government's been, the other controversies that the government has been involved in. An Integrity Commission that has the powers it needs to investigate potential misconduct would help guarantee that there's no wrongdoing, no maladministration occurring. And that would ultimately help the government and increase confidence in it.
1: We're seeing what's happening in New South Wales. We're seeing what's happening in Victoria. There's no reason to to think or there's no logical explanation as to why that wouldn't be the case at the Federal domain. We have to deal with this.
2: We can certainly see that at the states, there's several serious investigations going on at the state level from their corruption bodies, IBAC in Victoria. Um, is looking into issues of branch stacking and other issues in um, in the Labor Party down there. And in New South Wales, obviously, there's ICAC looking into Gladys Berejiklian and her dealings with her uh, former boyfriend, Darren Maguire and giving grants out um, that perhaps wouldn't have been given had people known about the relationship. Like, it's not these kinds of things don't just happen at the state level. It would be naive to assume that this kind of stuff doesn't happen at the federal level.
0: That's right. Um, there's a, a bit of a, a trope that corruption is most prevalent at the local government level, then at the state level. And finally the federal government is or federal level of politics is relatively clearer from corruption. But when you have powerful state integrity commissions and no real equivalent body at the federal level you just can't be sure that that's the case Uh, and there's certainly things that would warrant investigation what that investigation would find we don't know but it would be an important step to have the investigation
2: Mm, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Donald Trump observing that uh You know, if you don't test for COVID, you won't find any. The problem is the testing. If you don't look for corruption, we're certainly not going to find any bill. Yes.
0: So what do we know of what the Nats want from the PM in return for their support for a net zero emissions target by 2050? What is on the list? Does it include
1: $250 billion for risky investments? Mining investments that Mr Pitt proposed. All of this will be public in the next couple of days, Senator Wall. We know there was a deal, so now what? It's just a secret deal and the people of Australia who are going to fund this deal don't deserve to know what is in it.
0: Restoring the position of Resources Minister Keith Pitt to Cabinet, the man who recently canvassed a $250 billion taxpayer-funded support plan for the resources
1: sector. If, I, I haven't seen that document, to be honest you. haven't really. seen I'm, this I'm document? actually in, I'm actually, well, you're waving a bit of blue
2: paper. This is the around. Prime
0: Minister's plan it today.
2: You know, even in the last kind of 48 hours where we've been talking about a deal with the Nationals Party in return for passing net zero or agreeing to net zero, and we know that Keith Pitt has been elevated to the ministry, but a lot of the details, not just of the net zero plan, which was released today, but not not huge on detail, but the deals that were done in back rooms to get that agreement, like all of that is invisible and secret from the public still.
0: That's right. And uh, it does raise questions. I I guess I'd note particularly a lot of the negotiations seem to play out in public at first. We had ambit claims for multi-hundred billion dollar funds. We had, uh, you know, discussion about different reviews and inquiries uh, what net zero might represent. That part played out in public. And then in the end, the deal that emerges, you really struggle to find full information on it. It seemed like such a contrast from the 2019 election where the demands to see Labour's plan, Labour's modeling were so prevalent. Uh, and yet we haven't seen anything like that come out of these coalition negotiations.
2: No, and Uh, the Nationals were kind of demanding that modelling as well, and now they've done a deal and maybe they've got it, but we haven't seen it. We don't know the details.
0: That's right. It's a broader trend of the coalition that we don't see the coalition agreement that the Liberal Party and National Party strike uh, after each election when they form government. That stands in contrast to the Labor-Greens agreement from the 2010 minority Gillard government, where you actually can step through it Uh, issue by issue. I believe truth in political advertising is in there and assess whether you think that was the right thing to agree on and how well they actually did in uh, in getting it done. Uh, That transparency is so useful.
2: Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thanks, Bill.
0: Thanks for having me. This episode was recorded on
2: Tuesday the 26th of October 2021 and things may have changed since recording. You can visit Institute.org.au for all our latest research including Bill's consultancies report and you can also donate to research that matters. That's at Institute.org.au. You can find us on Twitter at the Oz Institute with an AUS. My Twitter handle is Ebony underscore Bennett with a double N double T and Bill Brown is at Brown with an E 90. Our producer Jennifer Macy is at Jennifer Macy and our theme music is by Jonathan McPheat from Pulse and Thrum with additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Stay safe out there and thanks for listening.